Hey, uh, welcome again to Faith. Uh, thanks for joining us in person. Thanks for joining us online. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, it's great to have you here with us as we are at the uh, tail end, the very last week of a summer series that we have done called Says Who? Now, if you haven't been here or you're new to faith and you're like, what's this all about? What we've been saying is in this series, we've been saying, hey, there really is such a thing as objective morality. There really is such a thing as universal right and wrong. And that God has revealed this to us in the Bible. That in the Bible we see God's truth for our lives, for who he is, for who we are, for how we interact with him, one another, and life. But all of that begs the question of, like, is there a right way and a wrong way to read the Bible? Are there ways in which I can read the Bible that will better help me understand what God is communicating to me in it? And we've been saying throughout the series, absolutely there are. And so what we have done is in each week of this series, we've taken one type of literature from the Bible and looked at best practices. We looked at principles that help us to hear from God most clearly as we read that type of literature in the Bible. And as we wrap things up today, we're doing so with Old Testament law. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, this is a part of your Bible known as the Law of Moses because God dictated it and Moses wrote it down. Uh, this is a part of your Bible that starts with Exodus about halfway through and stretches into Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. This is a part of your Bible that starts with the Ten Commandments and then you have 600 additional or so directives that go on top of that. This is a part of your Bible that's full of a lot of weird stuff. Like which bugs you can and cannot eat. How many feet you need to go outside the camp if you need to take a BM? Like, what animals you need to sacrifice for which sins, who you can share a bed with, who you can't. All kinds of crazy stuff in there. This is the part of your Bible that causes people who say, I'm going to read through my Bible in a year. Genesis to Revelation. And they get about halfway through Leviticus and they quit. All right? This is where we're going to be today. Now, I will concede this isn't always the most exciting type of literature in your Bible, but we're going to spend time here anyway because it is still part of God's truth for us, and it's tricky. Like, this part of your Bible can be tricky. So let's take a minute and pray for today. Let's take a minute and pray for our upcoming series. Uh, next week, we're going to start a brand new series. You probably can't see this unless you're in the front rows, and if you're in the front rows, it's because you love Jesus more than the people in the back rows. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, this is our invite card for our upcoming series. There we go. Uh, and it, it's chance would have it. They're kind of sticky. And so uh, when you go out to the welcome station and grab one, make sure you're, you're grabbing the, the amount you want. Um, but we're gonna, next week we're going to begin to look at, as we have been living in a season that drives people towards isolation, we're going to look at some areas where we are better out of isolation and together with something else or with someone else. And so if this is your church, your job is to be praying for the people who God has in your life who are not part of a church. They are not there by accident. God has them there. Be praying for them. Look for an opportunity to love them well and look for an opportunity to give them the card and invite them to join you at some point in the series. So let's pray and then we'll jump into things for today. Father, we just thank you for your truth, for the parts that are more naturally engaging for the parts that are a little bit harder to get into. Please just open our minds to how the law is still your truth for us today and how to get after it in a way that makes sense 
Father, we pray just for this upcoming series and for the people who you have in our lives. Father, I just pray for Kay Ann and just for an opportunity to, in a normal, natural way, uh, invite her to come out. And I just pray that she'd be receptive to that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, Old Testament law can be tricky, right? Uh, for example, who's got a tattoo? Tattoo people, raise your hands. Keep them up. All right? Tattoo people. Do you know what the Bible says about tattoos? Right there, out of Leviticus. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. So there it is, tattoo people. To quote the great theologians, Angus and Malcolm Young, no stop signs for you, no speed limits. You're on a highway to hell, you and your tattoos, right? So, um, but here's the thing, tattoo people, I'm going to help you out. Next time somebody quotes this verse at you about you and your tattoos, here's how you come back at them. You say to them, well, Leviticus, same book says to me that when I offer a, priest, you know, a bull as a sacrifice, a burnt sacrifice to the Lord, it's a pleasing aroma to him. My neighbors don't think so. They think it stinks. You know, like, what do I do, right? Or I'm thinking about selling my daughter into slavery as sanctioned in Exodus. With the, you know, inflation being what it is, what's a fair rate for her today, right? Or, you know, um, it's football season. Bible says if I touch a dead pig, I'm unclean. If I wear gloves, can I play football? Or my neighbor who lives to the right, they're into like astrology. My neighbor who lives to the left, um, they work on Sundays. My neighbor across the street, I'm pretty sure he's having an affair. Old Testament law says these are all capital crimes. I just need to understand, am I responsible to kill them or does somebody else do that for me? See, these are all the same parts of the Bible that the tattoo law thing comes from. It can be tricky. Like Old Testament law is where we get the Ten Commandments. It's where we get love God and, and love your neighbor. It's where we get, you know, care for the poor and, and the foreigner. And we read those things and we're like, there it is in the Bible. You got to do it. But it's the same part of the Bible that says if you have an unruly teenager who's just unresponsive to discipline, you should stone them. And no, this is not recreational marijuana we're talking about. It's you throw rocks at them until they're dead. And even the most frustrated parent that I know is like, no, that's a bad idea, right? So like, how do you feel? I mean, like, it's a tricky part of the Bible, and it begs a number of questions, two of which we're going to try and get after today. So here we are. Here are the two questions we're going to try and work through today. How does the Old Testament law apply to our lives today? Like, with a way that's consistent and logical, how do we decide these are the ones i got to obey and these are the ones I'm set free from? Other than, well, I don't like tattoos, so we're going to go after the tattoo one, right? And, but, you know, I'm going to ignore all these other ones that I really don't care about. Like, how do we apply, you know, how do we figure out these are mine and these aren't mine? And then once we do, like, what purpose does this play in my life as a follower of Jesus? Like, if, if I don't have to do all these things, why even bother reading this big old chunk of my Bible? How is this still God's word for me? Now, in answering both these questions, there's a, there's a couple things that can really be very helpful to us. 
One of them is understanding that the Old Testament law, it contains a number of different categories or types of laws. And, and scholars will argue about how to best categorize them. And I don't know if there's any absolutely right way to categorize them. But understanding that there are different categories and how those categories function can be helpful in answering these questions. So, for example, in the Old Testament, you have food laws. Like you, the, the fish, the birds, the, the animals you can and cannot eat. And if you read and you pay attention, you discover bacon's off the menu. Right? You can't eat catfish. I love me some catfish. Catfish is no good, right? But lamb chops, lamb chops are in. Cheeseburgers, we're all set. Thank Jesus, right? Um, and, and here's the thing. If you, if you take the time to study this, this is about more than God's food preferences or discerning palate. The laws that are forbidden in the Old Testament, the foods that are forbidden in the Old Testament law, one, they are foods that did not make good economic sense in the Sinai Desert or in the land of Canaan. And two, they were the foods most likely to carry disease in a day and age that didn't have refrigeration. So you got food laws. You also have paradigmatic laws. Everybody say paradigmatic. paradigmatic. Yeah, now if you can figure out how to use that word in a sentence at, at school or at you know, work this week, they're going to think you're brilliant, right? In short, these are laws that set a standard, or they, they set a standard by example. You see, having a law for every conceivable circumstance in life is impossible. And so paradigmatic laws will say, hey, here's a situation. Here's what to do in that situation. Now, take those principles and apply them to other similar situations. So we'll give you an example of this from the Old Testament law. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Now, some of this is paradigmatic in nature. For example, it says, hey, you've got a field, don't harvest the corners. You've got a vineyard, don't go over it twice trying to get every grape. Leave some of that for people in need. That doesn't mean if I have sheep or I have an olive grove that I don't have to care about the poor. You know, it's not, not like, well, huh, you great people, stinks to be you, should pick better when you're figuring out what you're going to do. No, the idea is here's a way in which you can look out for the poor, apply it to similar situations. Or if I fail to realize that some of this is paradigmatic in nature, I'm going to do what the religious leaders in Jesus' day tried to do. I'm going to say it's okay to have somebody work for me all day long. And then I'm not going to pay them until just before dawn of the next day. Even though I know they need that money to have a place to sleep at night and food to eat that evening. Or it says, hey, you know, look out, you know, don't, don't curse the deaf, don't put a stumbling block. Who does that? All right? But don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind. That doesn't mean if you're developmentally disabled, then I can mess with you. If you're handicapped, I can tip you out of your chair. No, the idea is, 
here's a situation, here's a directive, apply it to similar situations. Some of the laws are paradigmatic. Some of them are just moral. Like your Ten Commandments. Don't lie to each other. Don't steal from each other. Don't kill one another. Don't have affairs on one another. Those are there because those very actions are moral in nature. Some of the laws are just fall into a category that I call weird. Right? And scholars brighter than me have more fancy names for this, but some of the stuff you read and you're like, this is just bizarre. Give you an example. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Do not mate two different kinds of animals. Don't plant your field with two different kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing worn of two different kinds of material. Now, you're in church, so you got to be honest. Anybody ever been tempted or done one of these? Anybody want to admit that? Keep, keep those hands up. Now, find that person in the lobby after church and ask them, which one? <laughs> which, which, I just need to know which one. Hopefully, it's not like, you, well, you know, I was thinking about it, you know, baby goat. Like, some of this stuff is just weird. You're like, what is the deal with this? Well, here's the deal. Many of the weird laws that were, you're like, there's nothing, like, if I put cucumbers and tomatoes in the same garden box, who cares? If I wear cotton polyester, why, why does that matter? Some of these things that you read about that are weird, on the front end, you're talking about behaviors that really are amoral in nature. They're, they're irrelevant. But in certain contexts, it's different. So in the land of Canaan, you would have a behavior that on the front end, anywhere else, it, it, it have no more relevance. But it would lead later on to behaviors in the Canaanite religion that were extremely moral in nature. So on the front end of the Canaanite religion, you might plant barley and wheat in the same field. And then further in, it would lead to the practice of sex with a cult prostitute. On the front end of the Canaanite religion, you might boil a baby goat in its mother's milk, and then it would lead to you sacrificing your child in the fire to the god Molech. Behaviors that, on the front end, seem irrelevant, but they lead to clearly moral kind of behavior. And then finally, you have some laws that are what I call just laws of necessity. Here's what I mean by this. Sometimes you don't have a rule written down about something, and then somebody does something, and you go, okay, I guess we need to write down a rule for that one. All right, give me an example. So my wife and I, a few years uh, back, we were taking a ferry across the Georgian Bay. And on the deck of the ferry, we found this sign posted in multiple places. Do not hold children on or over the railings. <laughs> See, apparently... At some point across the, you know, this 27-mile trek over waters, 500 feet deep, somebody thought it'd be a good idea to take little Johnny, probably his father or older sibling, all right? Let's get that out there, all right? But they're going to put little Johnny on the rail or maybe hold little Johnny over the rail. And when we do this, little Johnny really squeals, right? And this happened enough times that they needed to print a sign in two languages, you know, because apparently the French are just as sadistic as the American, you know, the English in Canada, right? And then post these signs all over the boats, right? 
So you get some of these just laws of necessity in the Old Testament. Give you an example of one. Buckle up. If two men are fighting, and the one of wife, the wife of one of them, comes to rescue her husband from his assailant, and reaches out and seizes him by the private parts. This is in your Bible, people. You should read your Bible if for no other reason than the crazy, nutty stuff like this that you're going to come across. So we're going to illustrate this. So I need a couple guys. No, I'm kidding. All right. But I mean, apparently at one point, you know, you got a couple guys and they're getting into it. And one guy gets the advantage on the other guy. And the other guy's wife comes over and, and everybody's like, whoa, what just happened here? I didn't think we need a rule about this, Moses. You need to come and write this down, right? There they are. So, you got these different kind of laws, different categories of laws in the Bible. And again, understanding the different categories can help us answer our questions, right? They can help us begin to figure some of this out. So, how does the Old Testament law apply to our lives today? Understanding the categories will help us understand that. And then understanding what the Old Testament law says about itself and what the New Testament says about it is helpful in answering this question as well. See, the Old Testament law describes itself as a covenant. A covenant between God and his people. And the law itself, it was the terms of that covenant. If I was going to have a relationship with God, I didn't have to be an ethnic Jew in order to do that, but I had to enter in under that covenant. It was how I had a relationship with God. But then the New Testament comes along. Jesus comes along. And Jesus starts talking about a new covenant. Not a covenant based on the blood of bulls and goats and, and lambs. A covenant based on his blood shed on the cross. We're, we're going to celebrate communion later. In the upper room at the very first communion celebration, Jesus said, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. See, with Jesus, there's a new way of entering into a relationship with God that's different than the old covenant. Now, the New Testament writers, they wrote about this a ton. Pastor Laura talked about the, the, the insert you can get from the version notes or you can get off of the website. In your insert for today, you've got this long list of passages from a number of different New Testament writers who talk about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and what that means, that you have an old and a new. I'm going to share a few with you, just a few of them from the book of Hebrews. About the Old Testament law and about this New Covenant, the writer of Hebrews says this. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. We're comparing these covenants. The writer of Hebrews says, by calling this covenant new, he's made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. 
or speaking about Jesus and his relationship to the covenants, the writer says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died to ransom, as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Or again about Jesus and the covenants, we read, he set aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So how does the Old Testament law apply to our lives today? The writers of the New Testament would sum it up like this. As followers of Jesus, we're set free from the directives of the law of Moses unless they're reiterated in the New Testament. As followers of Jesus, all the laws of the Old Testament, we are set free unless in the teachings of Jesus or the teachings of the apostles after them, we see those repeated again in the New Testament. And of all the different kinds of laws that you read about in the Old Testament, anybody want to take a guess at which kind gets repeated? The moral ones, that's right. Like clockwork. And no, the tattoo laws don't get repeated. <laughs> Sorry, all my anti-tattoo people. They, 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 just, they don't make it into the New Testament. So, in fact, there are all kinds of laws that don't make it into the New Testament. And so th that takes us to our second question. Like as a follower of Jesus, all right, th then what do I do with, with the, the, all these other laws that didn't make it into the New Testament? And I would contend that those parts are still God's word to us. And, and even though it's not like I'm bound to do these things, they are still God's word to us in a number of different ways. For example, in the Old Testament laws, we hear the heart of God. Th think about those paradigmatic laws. Th there, these are laws talking about, hey, this is how you're going to treat poor people and, and, and immigrants and the disabled. Those are there because in a world that cares less and less for those people groups, those are there to let us know God cares. God cares about poor people. God cares about immigrants. God cares about the disabled. And yet, if you pay attention to the paradigmatic laws, you see that God does so in a way where he's not just you know, handing out handouts. He's helping people in a way. He's prescribing that people would be helped in a way that protects their dignity, where they get to participate in their own provision. Where, where they are not put into a system that makes them dependent or perpetual victims. You see the heart and the mind of God in the law. Or in the Old Testament law, you get a better understanding of the narratives. Like when you're, if you understand your Old Testament law and you read through the narratives of the nation of Israel, like you understand how messed up and broken God's people became. And when God sends the Assyrians and the Babylonians to take them into captivity, you are not surprised. Because multiple times God said, if you do these things, this is what I'm going to do. And they were like, yep, bring it. Right? In fact, when, by the time you get there, you're like, I can't believe it took God so long 
the mercy and grace and patience of God just blow up before us if we know the Old Testament law. Or if you're reading your New Testament and, and the religious leaders and they come and they say to Jesus, you're breaking the law. If you know the law, you know that Jesus was not breaking the law. He was violating the tradition of the elders. Man-made rules that were added by the religious leaders to the law of Moses. But if I don't know a law, I don't know that. So understanding the law helps me understand other parts of the Bible way better. And then finally, understanding the law can create gratitude. Like when I think about the sacrificial system, and, and like chapter upon chapter upon chapter of what animal I'm going to sacrifice for this sin or that sin or that sin, I'm done with that. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross once for all of humanity cleanses me of all my sin. Thank God that I've been set free from that. Or I think about 600 plus rules that I have to navigate with perfection in order to be right in my relationship with God. That is overwhelming. But that's part of what the law is there for. To help me realize I can't good work my way into a relationship with God. No, I don't have to though. Because Jesus came. And he fulfilled the requirements of the law. And then he died to make right what I made wrong and couldn't fix myself. And through faith in his life, death, and resurrection, the righteousness of Jesus is applied to me. My relationship with God isn't based on what I do. It's based on what he did in my place. Thank God for that. Yeah. So this, this, is, your, this is the law. In some ways, it's the old covenant. And we have been set free. Praise God. But in other ways, it's still God's word to us. We see his heart. We understand the rest of the Bible better. And we have cause to be grateful. Would you stand with me, please? As we continue this morning, we're going to do so in worship. We're going to worship as we celebrate communion. We're going to worship as we give. We're going to worship as we sing. But before we do, we want to pray. And if today, whether you're, you're here in this room, whether you're watching online, if you've realized, I'm trying to good work my way into a relationship with God, and that just isn't working. I need a relationship that's based on what Jesus did, not what I'm going to do. We're going to pray. I just want to invite you to pray with me and begin that relationship with him. So let's pray together and worship. Father, we just thank you for your truth and all of the different ways that you have communicated that to us in the Bible. Father, thank you. As followers of Jesus, we don't have to be good enough to have a relationship with you. That you sent Jesus and it's his righteousness applied to us that makes this possible. Father, for some of us today, we just we need to confess to you that we're not good enough. We haven't been and we cannot be. We are broken, we have sinned, and we cannot make this right. Today, 
We want to put our hope and faith in Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. We want to surrender all of who we are to him. And we want to follow him with what's left of our lives. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.